From the Bob Varley Studio in Orlando, Florida, you're listening to The Diz Unplugged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion for the week of October 3rd, 2012. I'm John Magi, and I'll be your host this week. And I am joined at the table by Teresa Eccles, Sean Thompson, Corey Martin, Kevin Close, and Dustin West, sort of, kind of, maybe, in the background. He's looking out the window. Yes, he's bored of us. In this segment, um, Kevin, Sean, and I are going to talk about the 30th anniversary celebration of Epcot that took place this past weekend. We all had a chance to participate in uh, some of the festivities that went on, and hopefully we can give you guys an overview of what exactly happened. Before I do, before we do that, before we get into it, I kind of want to give you a heads up and give you sort of an idea of uh, where this, how this review is coming about. Um, we were invited to the D23 event that was the day before the actual 30th anniversary party. A really good friend of ours, a really good friend of the Diz Unplugged, Heather Weil, got us tickets to the D23 event. And Kevin, Sean, and I went as Heather's guest Unfortunately, like after a couple hours into it, I was really not feeling well. So we left early. Kevin and I left early that first day. But Sean stayed for the rest, so hopefully he'll be able to give an overview of what happened after we left. Um, We got there very early. I don't know exactly why we got there that early, but we got there so early that the gates weren't even open, which kind of made me mad. So we waited in line to get actually into Epcot, and then we had to make our way back to the um, Millennium Village, what is that called now? World Showplace. World World Showplace. Now, we got in line about 20 minutes after 7, and there were probably 50 people ahead of us in line. A.M.? Yes. A.M. For something that opened at 9, that started at 9 o'clock. Wow. Now, nothing in World Showcase or Future World was open yet. We were allowed to walk through the park and walk towards the back to the World Showcase. This figures into the review as we go along. So we get back there, and um, it's probably a good now hour before the event even starts. Uh, we go into what used to be Millennium Village. That's why I keep referring to it it's as that. It's that building between where Off Kilter plays in Canada and... Great Britain. It's right up against Off Kilter. So even when you're in the building, when Off Kilter plays, you can hear them. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge building yeah. in the back. It's usually for special events. Uh, they do the food and wine. Food and wine. Mm-hmm. The party, party for the, the senses, senses is back, senses back there. A right? whole bunch of other events are back there. It's a great space. <clears throat> Actually, and it's not. It's a big black hole. <laughs> no, I think it's a great space. I really do. I think that um, it has enough space where they can accommodate a lot of it's people. It's a large space. And they have right. wonderful bathrooms. <laughs> they have the biggest bathrooms, bathrooms on Disney yeah, property. they're huge. They are absolutely, positively huge. There's probably like 60 stalls. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So okay. we got there and we, and we went in and had a little bit of sort of a kind of a decoration going on. It wasn't anything that was special. So, but you walk in and there's all these rows of chairs all facing the... the okay, here's where the I want to jump dais. in. This was more of a corporate team building kind of exercise. Than something an environment than something you would pay to go to. These were banquet chairs pushed right up against each other. There was no room between them, 
and they scheduled this event. It started at nine o'clock, and there was a break at ten twenty. So it was from 9 o'clock till 10.20. Now, keep in mind that we got in line at 7.15, 7.20. It's now 9 o'clock, and we're not going to break until 10.20, and there's a 10-minute break for 300 or 400 people. And there's nothing else in this big space except for the chairs and the... Wonderful bathroom. And the one great bathroom. Now, they did have the stage. stations set up with water. Now, you said 300 or 400. Well, I thought the total was a lot higher. I was guessing. I think it was up to 1,200 people in this event. Okay, now there, okay. Yeah. I was being generous where there's a 10-minute break for 300 people. Can you imagine a 10-minute break for 1,200 people who haven't had anything to eat or drink since 7.15? Now, John and I didn't have a chance to stop and get breakfast. I mean, we had to get up at 5.30 to get there at 7.15. So... We kind of thought, well, maybe they'll sell Danish or, you know, they'll provide bags of chips and a granola bar or something. Nothing. There were stations where you could get a drink of water. Now, at 1020, there was this 10-minute break. And just outside of... Break from what? This, this, the, what's going on on stage. Between the presentations. They had well, scheduled seminars. So they, they had different events and different speakers. And so it was very nine. rigidly So we'll planned. talk about what yeah. those individual oh, okay. things were okay. in a minute. But Kevin's just sort of laying out the idea that it was... Quite a bit of time between you got in and got out, and there was right. nothing else in this facility to do. No snack, no snack, nothing. Exactly, that's where we were getting. So to. when they had a ten minute break, a bunch of people went out to that coffee station that's right out next yeah. to Oh Off wow! <laughs> and in a matter, of, it seemed like in a matter of seconds, they said, "Okay, the presentation's going to start." Now, as John said, we had to leave early. We were leaving at this time, and there were still 40 or 50 people in this coffee line, and the event started up again. It seemed to me that that part of this wasn't enjoyable. Now, there was not a lunch break until noon. So unless you were smart enough to have breakfast before you got in line, or you were one of those people who ran out to the coffee station, you missed something. People tend to say have said to us, you guys seem very down on D23. Like, you're very negative about D23. And I'm trying not to do this, but it seemed like it was a very, very ill run. I'm just talking the logistics of it. Logistics of it. You put 1,200 people in a room, it takes longer than 10 minutes for 1,200 people to use the restroom. And again, nothing to eat. They should have had something at least selling. You could have sold Otis Spunkmeyer muffins and they would have sold out. I mean, it... It's just a long time to be in there with no options and not enough time to leave without missing part of what you paid to see. And let me also want to point out one more weird logistic thing. They had a, a merchandise for this event. They had pins that were just for this event. You could only buy if you were there. There were shirts specifically made up. However, they weren't available for sale there. There was a table on the back that showed you what they had, and then there was a form that you filled out and told them what you would like and how they can contact you. What? And I have not heard. I have put in what I want, but I've not heard from them yet. Well, this is just like the uh, like the Disney Fantasy and Disney Dream inaugural merchandise. You get on the ship and you put in what you want. No when, contact. When you. did purchasing merchandise become this? Why can't I see it? Why can't I touch it? Why can't I take it with me? That's well, not part only of that, the idea. But they didn't even take payment or your credit card number. They are going to contact you. If you're allowed to buy it. If you're allowed to purchase this merchandise. Now, the problem we have is we're going away Saturday morning. So I have, we haven't heard anything yet. So if they contact us and don't hear from us for two weeks, 
You're out of luck. You're out of luck. That's so, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough because we're trying not to be that this is so bad. It seemed like it was really poorly run, really poorly thought out. I, you th- I was under the impression we were going to something that was going to be more like a quote-unquote fair type atmosphere where uh, there might have been booths set up and, and things. interesting things to see. And, and that there would be five or ten minutes between each segment. Right. I didn't... I mean, I've been to corporate training where you sit on these banquet chairs for three hours. I've never paid to go to something where... The other weird thing was they were filming from the back row so that if you got... I mean, and this was far back. So if you got up to use the restroom, they've got my face. Because I had to... Pardon too much information, but I had to use the restroom before the allotted break. So my face is right in the middle of the video. D23's <laughs> promotional I, video is going to show Kevin hurrying to the bathroom. Right. So if you watch <laughs> this video online and you see me, hi. So... Uh, we get started and read the first thing that's going to happen, Kevin. This is the first thing. At 9 that... o'clock, there's a welcome with introductory remarks by Stephen Clark. Stephen Clark is the gentleman who runs D23. After that, there is from 9.10 to 9.30, uh, they, Marty's car. Well, Marty was there via tape. In spirit. He was oh. there in spirit. Oh. So, so you watched a, a movie, video. a video. 20 minutes of video right okay. and he explained that at his house that same night he was hosting uh, an event for a fundraiser and for the herb ryman exactly the ryman so, arts so he had a he had an excuse yeah, yeah it wasn't class. Okay. absolutely because he got there the same night because he was part of the events yesterday so okay um now i have to say something else they had a white screen background on the stage and they did not use that they used screens up to the left and the right. Projection screens. So you kind of screens. had a turn to watch anything. The other thing they did now, I know I have eye problems. I found it very difficult to watch the folks on stage because what was behind them was a bright white screen. And they kind of never dimmed it. So it was very hard looking into that white light. I don't know if anybody who didn't have eye problems had an issue with it. I found the lighting hard to look at. So we watched Marty give a little video, and he talked about um, some things we had heard before about how the sort of the the progression of the idea of Epcot from Waltz first envisioning it, then came to fruition, and that sort of was the idea behind the video, setting up the story for the rest of the events. And if you've never heard him talk, there's the famous video of Walt describing Epcot. There's two versions of it. One was uh, filmed to be for Florida residents. They were going to show Florida what Epcot was going to look like, and then there was one filmed that would be sent to corporations so that corporations could be enticed to become corporate sponsors. Those were the last films that Walt made before he passed away. That was the last film he's on. Uh, After that, there was a 9.30 seminar. Now, again, it's no break. It went right into that. And they brought out six gentlemen... Duncan Dixon, uh, Bob Matheson, Jan McCaskill, Tom Nick. I apologize. This is very blurry, and I'm trying to blow it up. Tom Nabby, Charlie Ridgway, Howard Rowland, Bill Sullivan, and host Jason Sorrell. And this was just a panel discussion. These gentlemen all sat up on stage, and it was very interesting to hear the difference hear how creativity, the creative part, and the construction part butted heads. These were the guys on the ground doing the logistics of 
the construction as well as the logistics of making sure that everything ran right in support of building it. And this was this was really fan. Uh, and when did really exciting. when did this actual happen? Actually, happen the building of Epcot, the beginning of Epcot. The early, when they were in the early 70s. Early 70s. Yeah. Well, the concept it was more than 30 was, years ago. The concept was the beginning <laughs> in the early 70s. Construction started in the late 70s. Okay. Because they talk about, um, as Marty Sklar talks about the fact that it was eight years of prep work. See, that's what I was wondering how mm-hmm. long it took. Before to... they actually broke ground of trying to figure out what they were going to do. I showed a, um, a picture to Marty Sklar. It was, uh, it was him and John Hench. They were laying on like this huge map of Epcot. And they were just laying there, relaxing, and while he he was laughing, I um, he he responded. He said, "Well, that's why it took so long to build up cut. We're sitting here laying on laying the mat." <laughs> so there were some fascinating stories about uh, the building of Epcot. A lot of things. If you're a Disney fan and you're into the history of Disney, these are things you've heard. There are a couple of minor tidbits that were thrown out that uh, I had not heard before. So I thought it was fascinating. And these guys were very, very. A couple of them were very, very anxious to tell their story. Some of them were very quiet and didn't do anything at all, but there were a few on the panel who could not wait to get that mic in yeah. their hands. So that was and they're also very frank, so it wasn't like you were hearing very Disney, you know, canned stuff. It Surprisingly, was it was. Mm-hmm. It was very... Uh, yeah. They talked about the fact that... Um, I'm going to tell the story about the portalettes. The portalettes were set up all over the construction site. And you've all heard us talk about it's hotter than Africa in Florida in the summer. Well, apparently these portalettes became very unappealing. So in or and they weren't being changed out or cleaned out often enough so that the construction workers in a way of showing their um disapproval that these weren't being cleaned every day and in the Florida sun it was getting worse and worse and worse, they would take rolls of toilet paper and cover them with lighter fluid and set them ablaze and send them into these portalettes. So he said it was not uncommon while you were working to hear a portalette explode (laughs) (laughs) while Epcot was being built. A lot of talk about how the uh, how difficult it was because it was, you know, very, very dense forestry, forestry in that location of Walt Disney World at that time. Plus, it was swampy. So there was a lot of trying to get the swamp, the water out and filling it in. Very interesting stuff. The challenges they had to go through were really... There was never going to be a lake in the middle of Epcot. But they found out that it was a Florida sinkhole and that they couldn't fill it in. They tried putting 120-foot beams in so they could make monorail beams so the monorail could go over the top of it. And they lost seven of them. They just disappeared, so they have no idea how deep the lake in Epcot. He said really they would is. put these 120 feet poles down into the ground, and they would just disappear. Do you know the mo- yeah. you know the monorail pole as you're crossing the bridge into World Showcase? There's that one pole there to the right. That's actually on a, a man-made floor that they've sort of traversed the sinkhole with, and that's how they were actually able to build wow. that pile. Stay out of that lake, huh? God. So very very cool stuff. And anybody who's interested in the in the making of Epcot would have loved to experience that. Unfortunately, at that point was when I was not feeling good, so we left during that time of they were going into their next thing. So I'm going to let Sean take over because he was actually there for the rest of it. Do you want to announce it, or do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you what the rest of it was Please. so you can talk about it? There was a 10.20 to 10.30 break. That's when John and I left. John has not been feeling well for a week or more, and just kind of wore out. Is that voodoo doll of mine? At 10.30, there's looking back at tomorrow. Artist Stephen Vagin- 
Vagini? I think it's Vagnini. Vagnini, yeah. I apologize. The, the, the copy of the schedule I have is a photograph of a photograph of a photograph, so it's a little, <laughs> little fuzzy. Michael Crawford, and they take you on a behind the development of some of your favorite Epcot attractions of the past. This was great. This was a, a really interesting one because what they did was the two of them went into the archives and pulled out all of this interesting Epcot things. So they had old Epcot logos, um, old drawings from John Henge. And this is actually where I learned a lot because um, this wasn't stuff that normal people have access to. Normal and people? Go ahead. Well, average yeah, people. your average person. Average person Non-archivists. Yeah. It's yeah. not, you know, this, is, this isn't stuff that's been scanned and put on the internet. This is mm-hmm. stuff that exists this solely is, in Disney's this archives. This is very original. And they told stories about how um, when they introduced Figment to the Imagination Pavilion, the other pavilions kind of got jealous, especially their corporate sponsors. And so the people that were sponsoring the living seas which i can't think of at the time they wanted a figment type character to represent their pavilion and so john hench in kind of just being funny he designed this tuna rock around character the mackerel and so uh it it was it was a joke of course but he had they showed all these drawings of this tuna that would walk around and uh, a fisherman captain that would hold him in his arms just like dreamfinder and figment so it was really interesting to see i think that was united technologies maybe probably what I, but I, again, what I really like about these stories is that, you know, you think, okay, someone in corporate says we're going to build this, and so people go and build it, and then they have all of these additional challenges that sort of make it. It's like everything else, you know. You don't think it's going to go smoothly, but it was very interesting to see some of the early stuff. They thought, uh, you know, where the two stores are as you walk into World Showcase. There's one the on towers. each side. Those were going. That was where America was going to be. And you were going to have to walk through America to see the rest of the world. Really? And, and the reason they wanted that is because they wanted it to be America was hosting these countries. Host countries. Right. So, so you have Mexico oh, on your sense. left and Why you have Canada then? on your right. Why didn't so it it's the, because they said that America would be the castle. The quote unquote of that castle of this park. Oh, the, the weenie. The icon. The weenie, they, right? They wanted people to have a reason to walk their full way around. Right. And so if you to put get America. To that food in America. Okay. Well, to get. <laughs> It's the largest pavilion. Right. Well, America has the most intricate show. It's not oh, just yeah. a movie. It's and, yeah. and so along with that move, they had to also change the architecture. So when it was going to be in that original spot with the towers, it was this kind of futuristic white building with spires. But then when you put it up there in the front, in the, in the back, actually, you'd have, they had to change it to like a Georgian architecture yeah. because it needed to fit with the two countries. What was the there. coolest thing that they brought out of the archives for you? What is uh, the coolest thing for me is they showed the three alternate endings to Horizons. And I'm not, I wasn't familiar with Horizons. I, I, just from reading, Before you were I born. know. <laughs> it is actually, but um, it is actually. Uh, but I never got to experience it, so I've only ever read Aww. about it and seen seen things. Uh, well, tell online. us what Horizons is because I've never saw it either because I never came to. Horizons was a pavilion um, where We're, Spaceship Earth is now. No, no Mission, Mission, Space. Mission Space. I'm sorry, yeah. I apologize. Mission Space. I know what you meant. Um, and as you rode through, it was what could happen here and you chose the ending your car it was a it was an omni mover but it kind of hung from the track kind of like peter pan and it took you along like this big huge imax screen and showed you like it's four people and you faced forward into the middle and then whatever occurred in the middle was you know you all experienced it and it was the middle of what middle of the ride you know the carousel of progress yes but you're sitting in like a doom buggy that hangs from a track so you instead of the 
the attraction rotating, you worked your way around the circle hanging oh, from a track. Oh, got and it, got it. Every, every original Epcot pavilion had a theme. Spaceship Earth is communication through history. This was family living, uh, life, you know, how you spend okay. your life in uh, new technology. And so that's what that things was. Things like, you know, how the hell are we going to grow food in the future? And okay. Things like there were animatronics the, and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. There was vignettes. Vignettes, yeah. And you chose yeah. the ending of your... Kind of like in Spaceship Earth. They brought the it into Spaceship video, Earth, yeah, because yeah. it was so popular. But you could either choose space, um, under the sea, or desert. So same kind of... Okay. Kind of like Star Tours has the alternate yeah. things. And so we got to see the three different versions, which was nice to see. And That's people cool. loved it. They're going crazy for it. That is awesome. There's a lot of nostalgia behind those rides. Yeah. There's a huge left. fan base. Yeah. yeah. So after that, after that was Making Memories, Epcot on Film. Joined former Disney Imagineer Bob Garner and Disney author and historian Tim O'Day as they cast a magic eye on the marvelous world of Epcot on film. Yeah, they talked about different things that um, this guy Bob Garner worked on, and he actually worked for the Carol Burnett show. And so he's a, kind of a big name in Hollywood. He worked for Carol Burnett. He worked on MASH, and he, he was very well known in this field. Um, but he did a lot of the filming for Epcot, and he, it was his idea actually to put the Mickey Mouse character, uh, the fur character, like a meet and greet Mickey, on top of Spaceship Earth. And this was at the time when there were no Disney characters in Epcot. And Michael Eisner was very, uh, very clear about for that. For what so was, movie was this? This was for one of the movies that's in. This is for promotional. Yeah, this promotional a, commercials. This is a like. promotional film that was. It was at the beginning of Epcot, um, but even Dick Nunes didn't want um, any characters in the park, so it was kind of a big deal. And I, he told the story about how he put, you know, the the character up on Spaceship Earth. There's like a hatch on the top, and they tied a rope around his foot and pulled it in and kind of tethered him down. And then they had a helicopter fly over, and they had Mickey wave. Um, I remember that film. But yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still, yeah, you can still see it today yeah. on YouTube and everything. But um, they didn't get any permission first, and so he almost lost his job. Okay. Because of this. Uh, going back, why didn't they want Disney characters there? Because it was completely separate. It uh, was supposed to be an entirely is, different thing. They did have characters. They definitely Disney did. Disney characters. Right. They oh, had, yes. well, okay, but they had these tall uh, World Showcase dolls. They, they were scary. Um, they, they were, were horrifying. Like eight feet yeah. tall. <laughs> and I think they're, they're the, you know, the person's face would be inside the neck of the character. But then they had these big, huge, hard, I don't even know what the material I, they were. But the I remember the, the ones from Great Britain. Yeah. They were kind of like the bee feeder costumes. But they were like seven or eight feet tall and they wandered around in traditional The clothes. idea was that you had a different theme park than the Magic Kingdom. The Magic Kingdom was about fantasy and these other characters where Epcot was more about celebrating the countries of the world. So all the countries had their own little characters walking around? And they around? would walk around. You, you can find pictures. And they were eight feet tall? They were huge. Mm-hmm. Like big clatu looking things walking around? Mm-hmm. Do you remember um, uh, the parade for the millennium? The Tapestry of Nations. Tapestry of Nations. Along those lines, okay. of sort of the top halves are puppets. Okay, people are interesting. That did that yeah. last long? No, no, no? Okay. a couple of years. Yeah, if that. That's why you have things like Dreamfinder, and you know, it was all the. It was them creating new characters, okay. but they eventually did let break down and let characters be in the park. Corey is showing us a picture. Oh, oh, oh I got to see this close up. Let me see that. Let's see if we can get. Can you get a copy of that to Sean? So yeah, we can of course, put it in the yeah. show notes page. Great. Holy crap. It almost looks creepy. like the things that Stella draws. Yeah. Like she would like to draw. Them. No, I like her but her work, but it's It does so look like Stella's little people. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at the normal people standing next to them in their horribly dated <laughs> But they clothing. would walk around and you could take pictures with them. They would Do they speak? No, I don't believe so. 
Do, did you ever see these in the park? Did yeah, you? I did. No, no. Kevin did. No, this yeah. was early 80s. This was like... Right. Well, I'm sorry. Before... before no, I, I'm not before saying that. Before Sean. I was just... This was long before I was ever there. Isn't that creepy, Dustin? It's oh my BS. God. Before, before Sean. <laughs> so what else did they talk about as far as movies? Did they, were they in charge of um, like the Canada movie and things like that? Or actually, they... he was in charge of a couple of the Circle Vision films. Um, and this was fairly a new technology at the time. And so he got a lot of advice from someone who had, had made some Circle Vision films. But it's, it's interesting. He told stories of how when you're traditionally filming a movie, you, are able, you have an area behind you where your crew can be, where your equipment can be. But when you have a Circle Vision camera, there's no room for that. Because everything is being filmed, and so you had to plant things behind trees, behind buildings. So it wasn't. It was. It was a lot of hard work. But yeah, he was a very interesting man. Cool. Very funny. From twelve o'clock till two o'clock, there was a lunch break, and this was interesting because we had to get out of the building. They completely. A very typical D twenty three thing event is that they clear the building so that people have to then come back and get back in line, so that if you, you know, you don't sort of hog a seat. People want to get a better seat for the next show. They have mm. the option of coming and standing in line. Just lay, again. laying your camera down on a certain seat. Right. Or, That's not yeah. allowed. You have to sort of clear the venue and then get back in. But luckily we had Heather, and she was on a mission, so she got us the exact same seat, the closest we could get without the, the next tier. Yeah, Heather, sorry, Heather's a D23 member. She's been to a lot of these events. She knew what they were like. She knows how they run. And she's a big fan of D23, so she loved it. Did they serve you lunch somewhere? No. no, we were on our own. But it's food and wine, so we went and got... Oh, oh okay. Thanks. Now, also, the the auditorium where this was held was divided into two sections. There were two levels of ticketing. There was a $120 ticket, a preferred ticket. That got you everything, plus a cocktail reception in one of the VIP lounges at Epcot with all of the people that were speaking. Wow. And I think Tony Baxter was the bartender at that event. Did you go to that? No, he wasn't. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> No, no, we had we, this, had the, we had the bottom tier. We had the next what, tier of $10 tickets. No, they were sixty dollars a person. Oh. A person yeah. for no food and sitting in a but you got, some, chair. you got to see some cool stuff. Though. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, that's what we were saying, and I'm not saying they should have given you food at sixty dollars. I'm saying they should have made it available to purchase right. there. Yeah. So that you know. Do you it, think they did it because a lot of um, you know it was a speaking event? They didn't want people. You know the sound of chip bags or things like that. Well, or I mean, they, it's very possible, but you could bring anything you wanted in. Yeah. You were confiscated. People were standing in line for that little stack snack counter. I assume they those people missed the next speaker. I also think um, I, it's my understanding now. I didn't go to the last one. The last one of the, they had of these, they didn't factor in any bathroom breaks. They had three-and-a-half-hour blocks of speaking engagements, and the number one comment or complaint after the event was, you need to let us go to the bathroom. I'm of the belief that 10 minutes for 1,200 people is not enough time. Yeah, there's no bathroom yeah. that big. I'm sorry. So, no, in the, in the line for the ladies' room at any event, you know, wraps around and around. Yeah. So, again, the logistics of it were, they could be better. And... I won't belabor that. One. The the session right after lunch was actually my favorite. It was uh, with three Imagineers. Let uh, me read it to you. Okay. Imagineering Epcot, an extra perceptive close up of things. It's very vague. Disney Imagineers explore the details that making that make Epcot so unique, from miniature gardens to massive buildings and every international food and beverage offering in between. Panelists Jason Grant, Jason Sorrell, and Alex Wright will show you what makes a future world 
and World Showcase, excuse me, World Showcase, like no other places on Earth. Yeah, so uh, this was great because they showed a lot of the small details that a lot of people don't notice, and they went through the entire uh, entire Epcot. So they started in Future World, they did all kinds of details around there, and then they moved into World Showcase by country, and they just gave a little. Some of it I knew, some of it what? was like the stained Give glass in Morocco. Just uh, they're a, do- a building in Norway. Just information about the architecture, stuff that I, I was really interested in. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I like this. One thing I really loved is when they were talking about Future World. Is if you notice on the right hand side where you have imagination, you have the land, and then you have the living seas, the architecture is very organic, and so the walls are very curved, and there's bodies of water over there. But when you go to the other side, where you have um, Universe of Energy, uh, Horizons or Mission Space, and then also uh, Test Track. It's very rigid and scientific. There's no water over there. Very hard edges. So I found that really interesting. I think this is something that appeals to a lot of people who are Disney fans in that these small details that most people would miss, what's the thought process behind it? It yeah. wasn't just random. Nothing was ever done just willy-nilly, oh, look, it worked out. There was always a great deal of forethought. Going back to one of the first segments, something I found very interesting was the gentleman who spoke about he was the one who was the delegate to go into the different countries and try and talk because they had to talk to the leaders of the country at the time, and some of them kept him waiting a very long time. Imelda Marcos and her husband, um, I can't remember his first name. Mr. Marcos. Mr. Marcos. <laughs> they, kept him, they kept the delegate waiting six weeks for a meeting. In and a he room? Was, he just was sitting there waiting? Well, no, wow. but he was there at the time, and he was in the Philippines, and he had to just stay there until... Right, like he'd stay in a hotel and... Yeah, you know, just wait to be called. Wait to be called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, you waited six weeks in the Philippines, isn't it, Epcot? And it was very, like I said, it was very frank. So they were telling stories about how he would meet up with the ambassadors and he didn't know what level of dress to wear. And so they said casual and he wore his leisure suit or leisure suit and he was completely underdressed because they were on black tie. And so he was in this baby blue leisure suit. So you think about baby blue? Oh, gosh. Here are the guys who are in charge of construction. Here are the guys who are in charge of, uh, you know, contracting out stuff. And now they're tasked with being representatives and, and meeting the dignitaries to convince them to invest in Epcot and become a host nation. So what was the, was there like a master list of these are the countries we want and they just worked their way down till they got... I was surprised at some of the ones they mentioned, like Indonesia and Philippines. Right. I mean, they, it was a huge, huge list that Iran. they were meeting Iran. with. Iran, yeah. Iran was one of the countries and he went to see um, <laughs> the, Salt, the, or, the Shah of Iran. Yeah. And while he was waiting, the Shah was deposed. Wow. So, and it it was very interesting to hear them talk about it. They also talked about a meeting when Epcot was ready to open. Just before Epcot was ready to open, they brought in uh, dignitaries from other countries. And he said, and they all, you know, they stood apart in their own little cliques. And so he said, we went around and slapped name tags on them with their first names on it. Because these were people who were, had never been called by their first names. Yeah. But Disney is a first name wow, company. Yeah. Even Walt wore a name tag that said Walt. So he said, we gave them all drinks and slapped name tags on them. And within a couple of hours, they were all slapping each other on the back and calling each other by the first name. Part of the same story is they talked about how their families were involved. So even these men, these guys, you know, their wives would be included and they'd have to go play tennis with the ambassador's wives. So it was very included. Like even Oh, it's so 60s and 70s. Yeah, it's very much so. Very much so. Well, how many countries were there? Is it the number that's there now, the, one, the number that's supposed to be there, or there's supposed to be more? Epcot, I think there's all... Like everything else, Epcot went through an evolution process. And, you know, they tell a story how it was originally going to be sort of 
everyone was going to have the same slice of the pie around the lake, and there was just going to be sort of a storefront of each nation, and then how that developed into having you know themed lands and right. stuff. So I think there might have been an idea of we're going to have these specific nations, and each was going to we have this many, and I think it just sort of evolved into who they could get the sponsor. They were not all open. Fit. I'm sorry. I thought sure. They were not all open at open. They were not all there at opening. Norway was added later. Really? And there's room for two or three more, I believe. And there's always been speculation. I remember there being a sign up that Israel was coming. Yeah, there's been a talk about a whole bunch, yeah. But I remember the actual sign that said Israel was about to be built. Well, there's articles in old Eyes and Ears magazines for the cast members about how Israel is coming, yeah. I've also heard that Equatorial Africa would be a would be well, one that, of the lands. That's what they kind of put um the outpost. The, the outpost. The yeah. outpost is, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, yeah that's one, one of the stories you said, uh, Norway wasn't open at the time. They told this interesting story about how the bathrooms back in Norway were there since park opened. It was part of like a Denmark kind of area. Cause since oh, it's wow. right, yeah, so that it was kind of the architecture. And the exact same building is there. They showed a, a picture of the bathrooms. They were just standalone bathrooms. But then you could see perfectly how they just built on to that building to create the whole Norway pavilion. I love Norway. Yeah. But that was my favorite panel because the three of them got along so well, and they were so funny. Got along so well. They played well together. Oh, yeah. The presentation was really funny. From from 2.50 to 3 o'clock, we've just begun to dream. Disney Entertainment veterans reminisce about the official Epcot Center opening festivities that remain among the most elaborate ever staged in Disney history. Panelists include Ron Logan, Carol Campbell, Gene Columbus, Gary... Pobin, I apologize, Tony Pelusa, Bob Roddick, and Steve Scapiro, I think. Uh, this one wasn't one of my favorites. Uh, it was, I don't, I don't want to be harsh. I mean, it was interesting hearing their stories, but um, I didn't know any of, any of their names. And uh, they were mostly people that were there musically involved in the grand opening. Um, it seems so, like a weak subject. Musically like, um, involved. So, yeah, so there was a trombone player there. Um, you made that up, really? <laughs> no. Um, so it, it was interesting. They t- told stories about how um, for the opening ceremony they had to conduct the band uh, when they were playing their song um, with the fountain because it needed to be all synced together. And the fountain wasn't finished at the time, so they had to cue the plumbers to pull the right switches because it wasn't finished. Um, so he was on top of a building. I think he was on top of Horizons maybe with his stopwatch because this was before any computerized know, computer where you could stuff, time everything yeah. perfectly. So he was up there with a stopwatch and he would give a signal to the plumber and then, yeah. I apologize. I found a better um, photograph of the man's last name. It's Steve Skariha. Oh, now I know him. Now, it's oh, <laughs> my chance Steve is listening. Man, that's right. Okay. He's a so, good guy. I, don't, I want you to just, I'm going to jump in here. We stopped on the way out to make a purchase, and I used my credit card, and the person behind the counter asked me, are you Kevin of Kevin and John? And I said, I am. He said, so you're on the podcast. <laughs> so you never know. Who you're going to run into who listens to this show. Are Steve? you Kevin of Kevin and John? It's like yep. a design house. <laughs> So okay, it's like a it's it's like Kevin a vaude- and Jody. It's like a it's like a vaudeville <laughs> troupe, yeah, well. like Lucy and Ricky. Um, uh, from three thirty to four fifteen, Epcot, Imagineering and Beyond. 
Daniel Joseph gives an inside look at the groundbreaking technologies and special effects illusioneered by Disney Imagineers for landmark attractions at Epcot. With a glimpse into the world ahead, the presentation will truly demonstrate what the P means in Epcot. This was a good segment uh, <laughs> session. Go ahead. No, say what you were going to say. No, I'm not going to say anything. I just the thought P that what? was an interesting way to introduce it. Go ahead. It was interesting because he works with the visual effects team. And so this was just him on stage talking. He had a little slideshow. Um, he emphasized you know, how it's important for uh, Imagineers to tinker with things. So he told stories about how when he was a kid, he would take things and take them apart and rebuild them, and so, which is what he did today. He explained a lot of uh, the effects that we see in Epcot. So even in like Universe of Energy, the lava effect, um, he described a lot of like the, the fiber optics we see. So it was, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. But it was interesting. Okay. From 425, oh, there was a 415 to 425 break. Did you get to go to the bathroom? I don't know what I did to think that back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Actually, I think I did uh, leave at that time. I missed the Journey into Imagination one, which was <gasps> by far the best one from what I've heard. From 425 to four, or 520 was Journey into Imagination. Explore the light, the flight and fancy through the creative process. Exploring concepts conceived for Epcot that pr- pr- uh, paved the way for the classic Journey into Imagination attraction. Uh, panelists include Tony Baxter, Ron Schneider, and Steven Taylor. It's Rob m- Schneider was there. Ron. Uh, yeah. Ron. Uh, so this one was really good. So t- uh, Tony Baxter uh, talked a lot about uh, the original Journey into Imagination, which is a huge fan favorite. And uh, he brought a lot of his artwork. No photographs were allowed during this. So um, Really? Uh, a few of the panels, uh, you couldn't take pictures. It's my understanding that the original Dreamweaver was there. Dreamfinder. Dreamweaver. Dream <laughs> Dreamweaver. Uh, yeah, actually, a hey, couple of them were, were were there that day. I don't. I don't. I think the original one. Yeah, he had kind of longer hair. Um, but the big, huge pull for this one was um, they put together a video of the original ride, and they showed all twelve minutes of it, and people were really loving it. So. They were crying. They were. Here's the thing that cracks me up. This is. There's such nostalgia for this old ride. Yeah. Why don't they bring it back and just revitalize it? I know. Why don't they bring it back and just modernize it a little bit? A little bit? retro ride, yeah. I mean, people... They, I think I, they need to do it to Epcot in general. Crazy. I think, like what they did with Captain EO. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's oh. such a popular okay, ride. It's such a popular ride. What is it? It's the original... The you know where Journey to Imagination is now? Where it's... The Figment ride. Yes, yeah, I know where that ride. is. The original song. You there know? was a, a much different version. It closed down, and they put in the version you see today. So it's the same story, just no, a different version. No. Much different story. story. It's about you follow uh, Dreamfinder, who helps you capture your dreams. Do you know who Dreamfinder is? No. The, the man in the blue suit and the big orange beard. He would hold Figment in his arms. There was a meet and greet. But and he, he was, was a main character in this attraction. Okay. Right, he was a main character. It's, it's, go, you'll have to look it up. I think figment yeah, yeah. is a figment of your imagination, and he mm-hmm. helps you put your dreams. It's in a previous incarnation of Journey okay. into Imagination, and a much more loved version. Why did the, they change it? To modernize it, right. and this one's kind of hated. Right, people so, loved it. This so is the thing that Kathy loves, right? Yes. And if you ask Kathy, I guarantee you she loved the other one more. Right, because she loves figment. So Figment was in both of them. Yes, the Figment same little originated in the first. Mm-hmm. The okay, original. so they just kind of pumped him up and get, made him the little. There was actually main. a version before the ride now where Figment didn't appear at all, and people were crazy. Where's Figment? Yeah. So they oh, actually right. they put Figment in. They added Figment to this ride, to this uh, this version. Yeah. Okay, so the dude from Monty Python wasn't in the original. <laughs> one. No, Eric, he was not. No. Okay. No, that was a made up 
it was a conceived Disney character called Dreamfinder, and they had people who he was. He had a vehicle. It was kind of like a hot air balloon type thing, and it right. had like a, a vehicle on the bottom, but he would fly through. Do you remember this, Corey? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was a big Figment fan. And I think I had a Figment doll. The ride was also, uh, of its time, it was one of those things that was a really cool concept because not only did the ride itself mechanism move, but the scenes moved. So you kind of went past the moving scenes that took place in front mm-hmm. of you as the ride moved to the next moving scene. It was a very, very cool ride mechanism. And while Dreamfinder was uh, audio animatronic within the ride, they actually made him a real person, and he would come out with his Figment friend, and he was a puppeteer, and Figment moved and looked and stuff like that. Interacted. And, yep. So you think, well, cool. you know, Disney should really think about what people want to see and want to have and do something, I think, and bring it back because yeah. there's such fervor for this. The last seminar was from 5.20 to 6 p.m. Wow. And it's joined Disney historians and composers, including Russell Brown, Greg Elbar, Tim O'Day, and Stephen Vagnini as they explore the incredible world of Epcot music, celebrating the talents of great Epcot songwriters who have left a permanent musical mark on the park's creative legacy. Russell Brand? Is that what you said? (laughs) Russell Brower. Oh, Uh, I I don't know too much about this one. Uh, I know that there were some live performances, so I think that there were a couple singers uh, that were singing some of the original Epcot songs. They played a bunch of the songs, Tomorrow's Child, which was there when the Epcot Mm -hmm. first opened and things like that. Yeah. So that's the end of the first day. And the first day is the day before the actual 30th anniversary. Now, this and was not open to everyone. This was a hard-ticketed event. Right. You had to have a hard ticket to get into this. Uh, D23 members could buy tickets. You didn't have to be a D23 member to go. As I, we've said, Heather bought tickets, and the three of us joined her. <clears throat> so this ended on the 30th. The next day was the actual anniversary of Epcot, the day of the anniversary. And uh, I know Sean went for opening. We arrived a little bit later to meet up with some folks. And in what I think is very cool, in Disney fashion, there was a specific uh, a pin, a button made, that everybody who walked through the turnstiles got this button that said Epcot 30 on it and the original date of opening. And there was a special guide map produced just for the 30th anniversary. Looks great. I love the look of that guide map. It's great. It's Sean's got it open yeah. now. The inside a- opens up into sort of a timeline of... It goes through the different park maps, and so it shows the ones from early 80s all the way through the early 90s, and then what it looked like. And okay. this is one of those things that I think Disney does really well, in that they don't have to do this. This mm-hmm. is a free thing they're giving out as to everybody who walks through the, the gate. It was very neat also that they didn't put this out for human consumption. The entire day, there was somebody standing behind that, and as you approached them, they handed you a map and a button. Right. Oh, they regulated I, it, yeah. At 40th, at the, the Magic Kingdom's yeah, 40th were, anniversary, oh. you would see people taking boxes of the maps. And put them on eBay. Right. 10 oh for 10. God, oh, it was horrible. ridiculous. So it was, I like that they had more control over it. The other thing I thought was great was, again, we arrived later in the day, and I said to Kevin, boy, I hope we didn't miss the buttons. There were buttons for us as we walked in, and then as we left, they were still giving buttons out at five. Even late into the night, like people that went back for illuminations, really? they were available. So, so they really did a good job. Disney gets a lot of credit. Yeah. Good. They produced a lot, and they figured out how to give them out in such a way. You all remember the cupcake incident. Oh, Lord. Where they made 120 cupcakes for 70,000 people. The cupcake incident of 2011. Right. 
the other thing that was going on for the 30th anniversary of Epcot was there was actually a free seminar, uh, and it was multiple uh, times during the day of Marty Scalar giving. There were two, I believe, like a four o'clock and a five thirty. There were three. No, there's. Here's I have the schedule. Okay, sorry. Uh, so. There were no events in the morning, so if you remember for the 40th anniversary of Magic Kingdom, they did something right away right, in the morning, right. So I think at 10 a.m. or something, and they had a little stage set up in front of the castle. This stuff was planned later in the afternoon. Um, so at 1 p.m., they had uh, Designing the Future, and it was a panel of Imagineers that were just discussed Epcot, and this was in the World Showplace, the same, same area that we had the D23 event. And uh, I believe Marty Scar might have made an appearance there, but it wasn't his like, signature right. session. Okay. Um, and then Marty Sklar did have a presentation both at 4.30 to 6 and then from 6.30 to 8. So back to back an hour and a half. And this was also in the World Showplace. Now this was open, I'm sorry, open to anybody who was in Epcot. Yes. It had, they were hosted by D23. So these were planned and put together by D23. But they were open to anyone who had Epcot admission. Now there was also a special tag at the end of Illumination. Yes, which was fantastic. Did you stay for that? I didn't, but I've seen video. Um, so what did they do? Because I didn't hear anything about it. Oh, really? People yeah. were really loving it. Uh, it was. What was it? They played it, We Go On again. It was a yeah, special ending. Just put it on loop. So you know what a tag for Illuminations, like a holiday time, they have the extra. Yes. This was an extra set of fireworks. Um, and from what I heard, it just went on forever. I, and I they played original Epcot music at the end. They Dustin, played, when Dustin saw it, I believe. I don't, I don't know. Somebody saw it. Somebody told me about it, and I apologize. I don't remember who. They said the fireworks were so intense it was daylight in Epcot. Yep, I saw that too. Um, and then when they were over, they played the original Horizons music throughout Epcot. Were people then, weeping? Maybe. Oh. If you couldn't were there. see that on the YouTube video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, they did projections up onto Spaceship Earth. So as you were leaving, they had uh, Laser 30 written on Spaceship Earth. So yeah. I think the Illuminations was a big hit. A lot better than what they did for Magic Kingdom for the 40th. Oh, that was a dud. Right. It was. Yeah. Well, I think that... <laughs> the band came out. I think that Disney has learned its lesson <laughs> from a lot of things. From the internet, for one. People being in an uproar over that uh, on the internet. But there was also the uh, the group WDW Celebrations that sort of shamed Disney into saying, why aren't you recognizing yeah. these milestones that are important to us as Disney fans? They did something big this weekend, too. They, had, they like, had a big celebration. Yeah, because Max was in on that. He was doing all the little things they were doing. and They do a great job of organizing of those yeah. events as well. So good for them for doing it. Good for them for sort of shaming Disney into doing it. But I also think Disney deserves some kudos here for doing something. Oh, for sure. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to make a year-long celebration out yeah. of it. You don't have to have parades. But enough to recognize it and also to let fans know that they hear that they want this. I, I love the, the logo they did yeah, for it. The merchandise. Uh, incredible. You know, it's going back to the, the whole Figment thing. Why won't they bring Figment back? I mean, you look at all the merchandise. The, the two icons that's uh, consistent through all the merchandise. Spaceship Earth and Figment. Right. You know, they had a lot of pins for sale for the, for the anniversary. They had shirts for sale. And again, Corey's right. They featured Figment or they featured the ball. So you think to yourself, why isn't Figment more prominent? There was also a country, a T-shirt for each of the countries in World Showcase. And there's actually a really cool really? story behind that. That was that was by an independent artist who works on Disney projects in his spare time. Um, he has a blog, and he you know, worked, designed all these. 
and then Disney has really been upping their game with uh, interacting with fans on social media, and they have that's how they found out about that, and they've ordered them. Well, first of all, I think it's really important. I think Disney has realized that fans and uh, Disney fans want to commemorate these anniversaries. And again, you don't have to make it, you know, a year of a million wishes and dreams and rainbows. <laughs> it just has to yeah. be do something, mm-hmm. make it make it a special day. Mark the mark the date. Uh, one of the things I give them credit for is that the merchandise for the thirtieth. Now, there's been sort of vintage merchandise leading up to this that's been available. However, there was special merchandise released on the day. It was sold in one location in Mouse Gears, and you had to wait in line. Now, this stopped people from buying 300 of the pin. So what happened was you were allowed to buy limited quantities of each, which meant that the pin, it's my understanding that the pin that I was there pin which is always seems to be the most coveted mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. was available late into the evening. Even on your way out, it was available, but you still had to get in line. If you wanted it, you'd really have to dedicate the three hours it took to move through that line. <gasps> really? At one point, the line for the merchandise was outside of the park, back near the kennels. And if you want one of the shirts, they have them online now. <gasps> but on the day of, right. this there, is was, the, yeah. there was none of the... Um, I believe there's also other shirts than this. There. One of the things that really bothered me, have you felt Disney t-shirts lately? Yeah. First of all, they're, so they're really kind of, the sizes don't seem true to size. They all seem slightly smaller. And the other thing is, they're very, very uh, thin. Hmm. They don't seem to be high quality t-shirts as far as I'm concerned. Different story altogether. But you did have to wait in line to get the stuff that was released for the 30th anniversary. And I have to give you give Disney credit that instead of letting everybody buy a gazillion of them up in the morning and that they're gone by 1 o'clock, this was, this was very well run. And Sean's showing off his uh, iPhone cover that he got that day, too. Yeah, they had four uh, limited edition iPhone cases. Uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they started selling some of the merchandise on September 28th, so they kind of regulated that. So there were like two groups of merchandise. There was the Epcot 30th uh, stuff that they sold a little earlier. Um, and then, like Kevin said, there was the... the so these iPhone covers are, are still available. These aren't like there's a limited there that day. If they have no. any left, they would still right. be there. There was yeah. The problem with them is they're for iPhone 4 and 4S. Yeah, I know. They're not available out. None of these are available for the iPhone 5. Sean also bought one of the uh, sort of vintage-looking Epcot ball caps. It looks old. I love the vintage look of all this stuff. Well, I mean, it, it, they, they yeah. really I went back yeah. to... <laughs> you really what? great. Yeah, it's like it's the the baseball cap is aged, so it looks vintage. Right, yeah, it looks like aged. you bought it in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, because when yeah, I thought, man, you got that old hat on. But everything has cute. the Epcot thirty logo. They used uh, the the old typeface for Epcot, and then the zero for the thirty is the old Epcot symbol yeah. with the intersecting ring. Did you bend the bill to look like that? I and do, there's yeah. also a, a line of shirts that came out for the World Showcase. Right, with, one for each country. Yeah. And they're very cool also. Yeah. One of the people in our group was going back after we were leaving because we left around 2.30. Mm-hmm. We left the park around 2.30. There are also shirts that were designed for the symbols of the old pavilions. Like right. Horizons. Communicor, I saw somebody with that. Right. Yeah. And people were wearing those, and there was one per... It was very... I think they did a really good job. I, I, didn't, I didn't go into any of the shops, but we spent all day there um, Friday and all day there Sunday. So I was seeing a lot of people with this merchandise on. Yeah. There were yeah. a lot of old Epcot, or at yeah. least vintage. On our way out, there was... Um, Spaceship Earth was a walk-on. I haven't been on Spaceship Earth since Jeremy Irons did the... Really? Yeah, it's been a long time. 
And I rode Spaceship Earth. Now, from my viewpoint, Spaceship Earth needs some help. It does. I, I know that. It was recently rehabbed. Re-fired. It still needs some help. Oh, that yeah. ride mechanism is horribly loud. The other thing is, I noticed things that were missing. There There's, are th- things come and go in there. I know, because we ride that a lot. Um, the paperboy's facing the back wall now. Yeah. No, they turned him around. Oh, they did? And he's holding up, a, actually, the papers in front of his face. Huh. The scene in Rome where the horses are, there used to be a little white. Roman chariot that would take up off. Oh yeah, that's not, not there. there anymore. The little, um, the little dude, uh, caveman dude, child. That's he comes and goes. I notice sometimes he's there. Gastel and I ride that three or four times every time we could. Yeah, it's, it's a good relaxing ride. Well, walking, like leaving it. the park, we like to. I mean, we just love the details. And she yeah. says, "Oh, here it comes upon your childhood when the little kids are laying there watching mm-hmm. the TV and the right. shag and." And this was uh, Monday, you said, or Sunday? This Monday. is yes, Monday. Yeah, yeah, Monday. We were there Sunday. I thought the lines were going to be crazy with locals going out there and uh, with the 30th. Food and wine. I mean, we were walking right up to the booth. Epcot was crowded, but I agree. Food and wine was not bad. Now, Compared to Friday. Wow. Also, we there was a reason we got on Spaceship Earth. We were leaving, and those ominous black Florida clouds, you know, the 20-minute rain shower, were coming in, so we thought... And you have like three seconds to get cover. <laughs> right. Run! So we went into, and it, I don't think any of us would have waited in line. But I, I just thought they've taken out some of the little details that I remember about Spaceship Earth. And it's probably been seven or eight years or whatever they changed it from Jeremy Irons. That's the last I went. I haven't been on since you got to choose your... Um, Ending. Shag, artist shag ending. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's been a long time. But I think that, I think it's great. I didn't find anything. I love Spaceship Earth. Yeah. yeah I, I love I it. I didn't find the right mechanism But do you, think, do you think they take things out to work on them and put them back? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I noticed things, you know, Corey missing. mentioned or, the paperboy being turned around. Yeah. I think he was being redone. Yeah. Instead now, one of, of the gentlemen on the fir- in the first uh, seminar that we went to on Sunday talked about how he was in charge of fitting the rides. And the set pieces for Spaceship Earth were all sent by truck. And he said, the biggest problem we had was how do we get them out of the truck without breaking them? And they were lifted by crane and they were put in the attic of Spaceship Earth. And as the ride mechanism filled in, they were allowed to bring them down piece by piece. But he said, we never understood how they got these pieces in the truck without breaking them. Mm. And our biggest worry was that we were going to ruin their artwork. I also have to say, you have to understand, I didn't go in October of 1982, but I was in Epcot in 1982. So I rode all of those rides when they were very, very new. And for somebody who hasn't been on one in quite a while, my memory of it was better than what was there. I I spent the time thinking that, What's missing? Well, don't you think, though, you had such a good memory of it that it can't live it's up to that? of a maybe? certain time in absolutely, your life. Absolutely, absolutely. It it's like going back to something from your child. Not that you were, well, you might have been a child then. I don't know. You, I know you weren't in the 80s. But going back to something that you really remembered. Well, that's exactly like, what I'm saying. This is better, yeah. in my memory of it, is better than, but I did notice small things that were missing. And they were things that I had looked forward to. There were just things about it that we loved. I always loved that little horse running up the Appian yeah, Way, and that wasn't been, there. It hasn't been there in a while. So 
I, that's what I re- that's what I realized for, for not having. I'm going to guess. I don't think you and I have ever ridden it together, so it's probably more than 11 years wow. since I've been on. See, it. I wrote it when they changed it. Mm-hmm. And well, I sat what outside was it before? I've only this is the only version I know. So you said the different narrator, and then each of the scenes are a little bit different. Um, there was also the thing with Steve Jobs is all new. That's new. It's all I mean new, new since a new scenes. Oh, what was there before? Going into oh, the it's like the, it's from the um, from the garage, right? Yeah, the right. garage. It's still the garage. When you go past the the, chi- saying, the from, mod squad chick and the right. yellow tights, and that was a different. There was a different computer room. I still think it's Steve Wozniak in there. I don't think it's Steve Jobs. I don't think it's Steve Jobs. Nah. I think it's, it's Wozniak. Jobs. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Also, when Looked your like car turned and you started your descent back to uh-huh. Earth, there was a um, there was a whole telecommunications thing, and you know, there was a model of. The actual model of what Walt had envisioned Epcot to be with a, a city center in the middle oh. and cars and stuff going around it. And that was done in sort of a white light. Uh, it was all done in lights and it was all white. So all wasn't that, that stuff. Space been, or wasn't that in Mission? Um, some uh, Poople Mover. Is, don't we have that? Poople Mover? What? The Poople oh. Mover. That wasn't, That's um, getting edited. I'm talking about the... Mover. <laughs> No, that was the roller coaster. came backwards down the, <laughs> the roller coaster in Magic Kingdom. Yeah, spa- uh, Space Mountain. Space Mountain. Okay. And, uh, on, along that walkway, is that what you're? Nope. This was a this was a small little model as you came down backwards in uh, Spaceship Earth. Okay, but my big question is, what was your world you picked? Were you gonna? <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to sit behind them both so I yeah. could see what they what chose. What did you pick? I picked work, work, and oh, work, 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 work. Did you? Was that with a little thing come out and cleaned your house? Were you in the country? Were you in the city? I was in the country working. I was. I said, "Can I be far from Teresa? Can there be <laughs> I no communications the with Teresa?" But I sat behind Sean, and I liked Sean's little mountain house better. Do you have a little mountain? Yeah, house? Yeah, I went with everything eco, so I was like living in a oh, tree man, house. You are so. I, my but I want to do it different every. Oh, <laughs> he wove his own clothes. Yeah. I, yeah I did. <laughs> so I give uh, Disney credit for. Um, Really stepping up for the 30th anniversary of Epcot. I think, in my opinion, it was enough. Yes, it was appropriate amount. Things were good. I think even though we had issues with the logistics of the D23 event, I think what they put on for people was what people really wanted. I agree. And they sort of met the, the needs of people. So, so this was a one-time thing. Right. So now we're into our 30th year of Epcot. So there's... Is, are there going to be new things throughout the year, or is this Never. just this is just it? No, just, no, just like the forty. We had the party. That was the party. The fortieth yeah. anniversary of the Magic Kingdom. It was a one day thing. The merchandise will be available until, until they gone, run out. Right. And, you know that's and that's, that's fine. fine. Yeah. What's the next big park anniversary wedding? Whatever. What's coming up? Wedding. It's probably got to be to Hollywood wedding. Studios. Yeah, that'll be the next one in. I don't know when. I don't either. Eighty nine was. So when does that be? The twenty fourteen. That'll be the anniversary. That'd be 25 years or 15 for Hollywood Studios, MGM. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for participating in this discussion. We hope everybody listening enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoy us. And you hope you join us again for I've another. Enjoyed you. You've enjoyed me. <laughs> I hope you join us again for another edition of the Diz Unplugged.